So uh, it's good to see you all tonight, and it's such a blessing to be back. We had such a wonderful time. It's been almost exactly one year. Uh, I know we were in Wyoming last year on Father's Day, and I believe we spent a couple of weeks here in the area and were able to spend some time with you all, and we have deeply appreciated that and enjoyed the time. We were not planning, nor were we expecting to be here today. Uh, this is all part of God's extra, I guess we call it bonus furlough. Uh, we were actually scheduled to fly out to go back to Germany this past Friday, and we would have been in Germany yesterday and at our first German service in a while today, but God uh, seemed to work out everything differently. Uh, those tickets just keep getting pushed back and pushed back. So right now our plan is, if the Lord allows for us to fly on July the 9th, but what that did for us is it gave us a little bit of time after the wedding. There was some furniture that through the whole COVID crisis wasn't able to be moved up here uh, for Beth and for Titus. And so we were able to throw a quick trip together. And I appreciate so much, Pastor Monday, you being willing to put us up a drop of a hat. Literally, I threw a hat at him and uh, he let it hit the ground and said, you guys can come. So thank you for that. And of course, it's always good to be around uh, Beth and Titus and spend some time with them. So uh, we really appreciate you all and all that you've done to help us be on the mission field in Germany. This is an odd meeting. It's not really a furlough report. Uh, we didn't have to set up our table. Uh, of course, I always have prayer cards because missionaries are supposed to have prayer cards, and we've got some of those, but we just want to be a blessing to you tonight and uh, look forward to seeing what God does through you all as we go back to Germany. Uh, we do uh, follow you on Facebook, and it's been kind of fun to see the, the different beardedness levels of different personalities here in the church. I'm looking at you, Pastor Monday. So how many of you liked him with the beard? <laughs> That's great. I'm not even going to go any further than that. That's great. So uh, we, we, I was kind of, actually I'd known because I've seen him the past couple of weeks without one, so I was wondering, is he going to have his beard back or how's that going to be? So it's good to be back here tonight, and I trust we can be a blessing to you. I have not discussed a time to end with the pastor, so uh, when I'm done or like 8.45? Okay. Oh, they'll tell me. Okay. Well, when you check out, then we'll check out together, okay? I'll, I'll ask you to take your Bibles this evening and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, I know it's been said several times, but ha happy Father's Day to everybody. Hope you've had a good time this afternoon. The church we were at this morning, they had a good brisket barbecue lunch for all the dads, and they even let the wives come too and the moms. It was a good time, and uh, we enjoyed the fellowship had a good afternoon drive down here. Everything's been pretty smooth. My son called from Alabama and asked how everything was going. And I said, well, we're out west where you want to be someday. Our son Levi loves uh, Colorado and Wyoming and being out west. But we didn't have a spare seat in the van for him. So greetings from Levi. You might remember him from last year. And uh, he misses you all as well. Second Samuel 23, I'll ask if you don't mind and you're able to this evening to stand as we read God's word together. 2 Samuel 23, we'll begin reading with verse number 8. The Bible says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. 
And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Let's bow for prayer together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege we have to be in your house. And I know the last few months have been uh, unpredictable at best, a difficult time for churches, for missionaries, for those traveling, uh, for those that are serving in different parts of the world as they've kind of been locked in their corners of the world. But I'm thankful that we have a God who has the oversight, who knows everything that's going on, and who's faithful to us even in times of trial. I pray that you'd bless us this evening as we look at your word. Help us to be encouraged as we look at the lives of these three mighty men who did something great for their Lord. And I'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Does anybody in here have a favorite superhero? Jesus, okay. Yes, Jesus is my favorite superhero. Uh, I should have maybe narrowed the question down a little bit. Because we've noticed, coming back to the States, this is like a superhero-saturated society. As we've driven around, you see all of the billboards for the movies and all of the people walking around with the t-shirts on. And my goodness, we all love a good superhero. I mean, you've got these Marvel superheroes. And uh, I was curious one day, so I just started doing a little bit of research. And my question that I asked myself is, just how much does America love her superheroes? And I think a lot of times you can find out how much you love something by the money you invest in it. Turns out Americans, this is back probably last year sometime, uh, Americans had spent $22,582,807,000 just on the box office for superhero movies. That is $22 plus billion dollars. That does not include all the merchandising that goes along with it. Does, doesn't include a whole lot of other categories like the little lunchbox that I, I had when I was a kid. Uh, that was not included in that figure. But we love our superheroes and we've traveled to a lot of churches. We've spoken in a lot of schools. Man, kids are all about the superheroes nowadays. And so I was thinking to myself, my, wouldn't it be great if there were some superheroes that we could talk about that really existed? Because let's just be honest, Superman, as awesome as he might be, and as nice of a story as that might be, and I don't want to break your hearts this evening, but I'm going to share something with you. It is a fictional story. It was made up by somebody with a very creative mind who came up with a very interesting story, but it's all just fictional. And so I was thinking it would be nice to have some stories to share with our young people that tell us about some men and some women who did some supernatural things that really we can look to and say, this story really happened. And truth be told, you don't have to read very far in the scripture. And you come across men and women who God used in a spectacular way to do some things for him to accomplish his plan in the world. And we just read really three condensed versions, three little stories about three of David's mighty men who in my eyes are superheroes that God used in a great way. The first man, and we're just going to kind of briefly go through and summarize what these men did. The first man's name is in verse number 8. He's the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, the chief among the captains. His name, the same, was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now, is anybody in here impressed with Adino the Esnite? 
say, well, what did he do? Well, not much. Uh, the Bible actually doesn't give us a lot of detail about what he did. The Bible only tells us that a Dino in one battle at one time went out to the battlefield and in his Old Testament system of warfare was able to slay 800 of the enemy. That's impressive. I I'm going to tell you the truth. If I look at our military nowadays, and I don't have the statistics, I don't know all the information, but I would almost be willing to promise you that we do not have any soldiers alive today who could go out and say, outside of maybe a, an Air Force or somebody that fired a missile, I killed 800 of the enemy in my career. This is an incredible statistic when you start thinking about it. This takes out of play all of the modern warfare and all of the weapons that we have nowadays. We're talking about Glocks. It's, it's really funny. When we go back to Germany and we have to describe for them what furlough was like, and we say, like, we were out west in the United States, and it's different out west. Now, in Germany, you are hard-pressed to get a weapon, uh, to, to even, like, own a firearm. It's very, very restricted, and the, the classes you have to go through. So I tell them, you know, when you go out west in the United States, they check you for a firearm at the door, and if you don't have one, they'll loan you one. I mean, it's just how it is. It's a little different. Uh, but we're talking about not, not modern warfare. We're talking about Old Testament weaponry, spears and swords. And Adino went out one day, and I don't know exactly what happened. I just know God used him. He allowed God to use him. And at the end of that battle, maybe it was a multi-day battle, I don't know. But in one, at one time, in one battle, Adino lift up his spear against 800 and slew the enemy. To me, that's a superhero. And I believe his mindset was this, there is no job that is too great for me to be involved in. And he just got with it, did what God called him to do. Now, there's not so much detail on that story, so we'll move along to verse number nine. The Bible says, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Now here's a man, his name is Eliezer, and just to give us a little bit of background as to what's taking place, the Bible says that he and apparently his friends have gone out to defy the Philistines that are there gathered together to battle. Now, we have a certain idea in our mind what that word defy means, right? Nowadays, when we talk about defying somebody, we're talking about uh, generally it's some form of authority that has told us to do something. And instead of doing what we're told, we'll defy or we'll uh, refuse to submit to the order that was given. Well, back in the Old Testament, defying meant something a little bit different. There may have been some sense of that, some sense of rebellion in it. But what the Bible is talking about, defying the Philistines, is kind of hard to understand until you read another story that kind of explains it for us. So if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, you'll know right away this is a very familiar story, the story of David and Goliath. And this is the beginning of the story in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Asekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. 
And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. So you have a fairly good picture here of what's going on. You've got the Philistines on a hill on one side, uh, and they've got their camp of their soldiers. On the other side, you've got the Israelites, and of course the valley. There's a brook running through the valley. Later, you'll find out that David goes down to that brook and draws out five smooth stones. But as you read further in the story, in verse number 8, the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of, the, of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So Goliath is yelling across the, the valley there to the Israelites. And he says, I defy you. I challenge you to find somebody that can come and destroy me. You say, well, what does that mean? Let's read a little further. Down in verse number 43. Now we've got David coming up the side of the hill to, to face the Philistine. And the Philistine, Goliath, sees him coming. And in verse 43, the Bible says, The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. So basically, you're going to come to me, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to feed your carcass to the animals around here. You know what defying means in modern-day English? Trash talk. This is how the armies functioned back then. They would stand across from each other, and they would talk smack back and forth to each other. We are going to tear you all apart. And the other side would say, no, nah, our God's bigger, our God's better. And when we get done with you, there's not going to be anything for the animals. That's just how they did business back then. This is, by the way, this is typical warfare up until... Uh, you really get into modern warfare where we get into camouflage and hiding and all those sorts of things. This is how battles have been fought throughout the centuries. People would stand in a row and yell and fire at each other. That's just how it worked. And so we've got Goliath trash-talking David as David approaches him. And David responded with meekness and with kindness, right? I love this part. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So what did David do with confronted with a trash-talking Philistine? He trash-talked him right back. You think you're going to tear me up and feed me? Well, let me tell you, my God's bigger than your God, and when I'm done with you, I'm not just going to feed you to the birds. I'm going to feed the whole host of the Philistines to the birds. I, that's just how they did it back then. So they're defying each other. And that's all just to give you an idea of what Eliezer and his friends are doing. We go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23. The Bible says Eliezer, the son of Dodo, was one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. It's verse number 9. 
Basically, one day, Eliezer and his friends decided to have a little fun. So they went out and found themselves a group of armed Philistines. Now, I don't think this is fun. I don't think this is how you should entertain yourselves. But they decided to go out and defy the Philistines. They were gathered together to battle. And at some point during this encounter, things got hostile. And we don't know all the background. All we know is that the men of Israel did what a lot of Christians do when the going gets tough. They left. They went away. But in verse number 10, the Bible tells us that Eliezer arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Eliezer looked around him and saw that his friends had left him and decided, it's time for me to get busy now that nobody else is here to help me. And he fought for an entire day. At the end of the day, he literally could not put his sword down because his hand was clenched around the sword. I like this guy's mentality. He's not afraid to fight alone, and he's not afraid to persevere. He said to himself, there is no job that is worth quitting on for my Lord. What's kind of sad to me at the end of this verse is the end of verse number 10. The people returned after him only to spoil. Where was everybody when it was difficult and when the battle was raging? They left. But when the blessings of God were being displayed and God had overcome the enemy by using Eliezer, the people came back. Uh, God help us to be an Eliezer kind of man for the Lord. Our last story is in verse number 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. We've got here the story of some Israelites that are going through a difficult time. If you look at history and how uh, the power structure just kind of shifted back and forth between Israel and the Philistines, many times the Philistines had the upper hand. They had the might. I know there's a lot of stories of David killing the Philistines and slaying Goliath and all those things, but sometimes the Philistines were just more powerful. And this is one of those occasions. They came to the land of Israel. They found a, a field of lentils, and they probably just thought to themselves, you know what, we've got the manpower. The Israelites have been here. They've plowed the field. They've cultivated the field. Uh, there's a nice harvest to be had. Let's just go and take away this field from the Israelites. And the Israelites, the Bible said, fled from the Philistines. It's a depressing thing to be stolen from. Have you ever been there? Has anybody ever stolen from you? You know, last year, not long after we left here, we wound up in New York City visiting my brother. He's a pastor in Queens, New York. Um, and Levi, you know Levi, he's our six foot three youngest child. So uh, we were out one day. Uh, he had lost his phone charger. So we had to go down to the CVS. In New York, you don't drive anywhere unless you really have to. So it was about a 10 minute walk few blocks down to go to the CVS and he was going to buy a phone charger and uh, so we went in there together and he picked out his phone charger we get up to the to the front area there where you pay for it and he does the wallet pat thing he pulls out his wallet and he looks down and he says dad my check card my bank card is not in my wallet so well that's not good you need to check all your pockets so uh, he starts to, he goes through everything and and right away I'm like red flag red flag red flag so we went on my phone real quick and uh, shut his account down. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, like you can go right in and see what's going on with your account. 
uh, we saw that just a few minutes earlier, somebody had done a $400 withdrawal from Levi's account. Now, let me tell you about Levi. Before we came back to the United States last year, he had had a job at a chocolate factory. If you come visit us, we're going to take you to this chocolate factory. It's uh, within walking distance of our house. So he had a job for about four months around Christmas time. Uh, he had saved all of that money. He's been dying. When he gets back to the States, he's going to get his license. He's just got his license. And he's got this money in a bank account squirreled away. He wants to buy him a truck. And he's even got one picked out. We're just kind of waiting for all the details to work out. And so he's got this money in his bank account. He's worked hard for it. And uh, so we're in New York City last summer. And all of a sudden, out of his account disappears $400. My meek and quiet Levi turned into a raging child that I did not want to walk three blocks back to my brother's house with. He was fussing. He was fuming. He was upset. I can't believe somebody would do this. He was like, kids, shut up. Let us get home and we'll figure it out. We'll work it out. Now, a lot of people accuse me of not telling the end of the story. He had bank insurance. Uh, they wound up reimbursing him for the money. Uh, after we locked the card down, they tried to do another $500 withdrawal. Uh, we got a notification about that. But I just share that to let you know, it's not fun being stolen, uh, stolen from. And Levi was in all sorts of a bad place. I, I can imagine the Israelites have invested their lives in this field. And now the Philistines have come, they've surrounded the field, and they are about to take away what the Israelites have worked so hard to achieve. And the people are fleeing because they know they don't have a chance. But there was one man who ticked a little bit differently. His name was Shammah. And I don't know exactly what was going through Shammah's mind, but I imagine it was something like this. You can almost see the temperature rising as the people are leaving and the Philistines are approaching. And, and maybe his thought process went like this. You know what? This is God's land. This is the promised land. He promised it and gave it to us and told us we could have it for us and for, our, uh, uh, for the people that are going to come after us, for our children, for our children's children. And these are the enemies of God that are coming onto God's property and taking away from God's children what belongs for them. And I don't like it. And he began to get a little bit worked up. And at some point, the Bible says, he stood in the midst of the ground. He geared up. He went out to the middle of that field. And he says, all right, you Philistines, if you want some lentils, you can have them. But you've got to get them over my dead body. Now, what do you think the Philistines did? I don't think the Philistines were dumb. I think they saw one guy out there in the middle of the field, and they're like, well, we can take this guy. We're going to surround him. And boy, were they in for a surprise when they got to the middle of the field. The Bible says he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And what happened? The Lord wrought a great victory. Here was a man who was not prepared to give up to God's enemies what God had given his children. And that was his mentality. You want to talk about superheroes? Forget Superman, forget Batman, forget Captain America and all those guys. These are three men who jeopardize their lives to accomplish something great for God, and God used them. And that's the introduction to the message this evening. I promise the rest of the message is a little bit shorter, and we'll get through it quickly here. But I wanted just to give you a picture of these three men and how God used them before we look down at verse number 14. 
The Bible says David was then in an hole, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. You read the verses preceding this, you'll find out that David's in the caves at Adullam. It was a place where David, from time to time, would take his men. He had several hundred men following him, and, you know, every soldier needs to rest from time to time. And so he would lead his men up into his hold, and uh, they would have some rest to kind of get away from the battle and have some time away. They were probably dirty. I would not have wanted to be in the cave with these guys, probably smelly and stinky and sweaty. But they're up there, and you know how you get when you get tired? You sometimes get a little sentimental, don't you? Uh, I experienced this once in a while in Germany. You just, you're in the ministry, and you're there, and you're tired, and, and so you just kind of get sentimental, and you think back to your childhood. Uh, David here, he's thinking about the well water from Bethlehem. You say, well, why was he thinking about well water from Bethlehem? Well, he was a, he was a, a shepherd. He would come in after having kept, keep, kept the sheep all day, and he would come past that and refresh himself there. So that was something from his childhood. When I'm in Germany reminiscing, you know what I reminisce about, Brother Monday? Cheese curds. Yeah. How many of you have had cheese curds? Well, I grew up in Wisconsin. We know about cheese curds. And uh, you get them out of the refrigerator, you get them down to room temperature so they squeak when you bite into them. Now, I'm not talking about the fried stuff from Culver's. That's good, too. But you have to have a cold, refrigerated plastic bag of cheese curds. Um, and so when I'm in Germany, that's the kind of stuff that I reminisce about. Well, David now, he's reminiscing about that well water. And these three guys hear him talking about the well water from Bethlehem. And in verse number 16, something happened actually between verse 15 and verse 16. Uh, probably they organized themselves and they said, you know, let's go get our king. Let's go get David this well water he wants. And in verse number 16, the Bible says, the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. And they took it and brought it to David Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. These three men loved their master to the point where they said, we are willing to risk our lives to get him some water that he desires. David, what's the desire of your heart? You want water from Bethlehem? There's a garrison of Philistines at Bethlehem? No problem. We are the three mighty men that you have. Let's go see that we can get you what the desire and the longing of your heart is. And they put themselves at great risk to see the desire of their master fulfilled. Let me tell you something. David was a faithful and loyal leader. You don't read about many of David's followers who weren't fully committed to him. Now, I know he has the story of Absalom and his son. But David was a good leader. He was a man after God's own heart, and his men loved him. And they were willing to do whatever they could to see the longing of his heart fulfilled. I just want to kind of make an application here, and we'll close. How many of you think that we have a good leader in our Lord? As good as David was to his men, as much as he took care of them, as much as he struggled to try to feed them and clothe them and lead them and pay them, uh, our master, the king whom we serve, has been way more faithful than David ever was. And I would submit to you this evening that we ought to have the mindset of Shammah and of Adino and of Eliezer to say, God, 
When I can figure out what the longing of your heart is, I will stop at nothing to see that it is fulfilled. Have you ever taken time to ask yourselves what the longing of God's heart is? What do you think? If God were reminiscing, if you were cooped up in a cave with God and God was just kind of sentimentally talking about and saying, this is the one thing I want more than anything else. Have you ever thought about what that would be? And it's my opinion, as you begin to read through scripture, God reveals the longing of his heart very quickly. You see, God created us. God created Adam and Eve and set them in the garden because he wanted somebody to fellowship with. After Adam and Eve sinned, God restored that by killing an animal and clothing them with coats of skins so that that fellowship could be restored. Uh, it wasn't very long. God instituted a system of sacrifice so that blood atonement could be made, so that fellowship could continually be restored. And everything you read when you start in the book of Genesis, going through the Old Testament, is pointed at God restoring broken fellowship with us whom he created. Of course, you get to the New Testament and say, well, why did God send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world? He wants restored fellowship. What's our goal as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you can apply this any way you want. We can go in a missions direction. You can go in a personal relationship direction yourself. But I would submit to you this evening, our master desires, number one, to have fellowship with us. And he desires, number two, that we do what we can to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants us committed to the task at hand. And let me tell you, the doors in the last few months have opened wide. There are people thinking about things that they have never thought about before. There are people looking to the future that is uncertain, and they've got some deep spiritual questions. And as servants of Christ, we should have some deep spiritual answers for them. But it starts with us being committed like Adino and like Eliezer and like Shammah. Hey, we're not going to go out and slay Philistines, but God still wants us to fulfill the longing of his heart. And I trust that's an encouragement to you this week as you come into contact with people. I trust it's an encouragement to you this week as you seek in your relationship with our Lord to deepen that and to have a good fellowship with him. Let's bow for prayer and then I'll ask the preacher to come. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. I'm thankful for the examples that we find in scripture that give us encouragement. I'm thankful for these Old Testament stories for the men and for the women that you used in such a mighty way that can teach us about our relationship with our Lord. I'm so thankful for David that in spite of all his shortcomings and the sins that he committed, he always had a heart to get back to a proper relationship with the Lord he served. And I thank you that we have this same privilege and opportunity in our lives. Lord, I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to be here tonight. I pray that you'd encourage us through the fellowship after the service. Might the word of God speak to our hearts throughout the week, and might you help us to be faithful servants for you in all that we do. And I'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.